Hello there. It's Ed Gallo. This is the Wrestling for MMA podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network. This is a show where I talk about you know, the art of wrestling and its context within MMA. Sometimes I talk about amateur wrestling, but you guys don't like that. So I guess I'll do that less. And that has not been successful. Um, but yeah, MMA stuff. Lots to talk about uh, from this past card and this upcoming card for the UFC. That's where I'm going to focus pretty much all of my energy. Um, from the past card, definitely um, Carlos Diego Fajaya versus Gregor Gillespie. That was an amazing fight. A lot of wrestling things to talk about there. I'll do that. And then this upcoming card, UFC 262, we have obviously the vacant lightweight title fight between Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira. A fight that I've discussed in the past uh, on the um, Round Robin of Violence panel discussion with a lot of other analysts. We talked about all the potential matchups between the top lightweights. And this is the fight that got made, so we were already prepared uh, to discuss it. And uh, I'll repost that so you guys can find it. I might talk about some other ones on the card. There's some other wrestlers, but that's going to be my focus is those two fights. Um, this week, I will do a resume review. Uh, if you guys remember that series, it's where I watched some fights of a fighter that's coming up that I think is uh, on the all-time great list and... My all-time great list is 100 fighters, so <laughs> uh, saying that someone like Michael Chandler is on the all-time great list shouldn't be that controversial since I have 100 people on there. Um, but yeah, it's based on wins, on the value of wins in the series is me watching the fights, and you get to see how I determine the value of wins in real time. Uh, that is on Patreon. I upload the, the audio for podcast platforms as well, but if you want to actually get synced up and, and see how I'm doing things. And if I go back and forth and rewind, uh, you'll want to have the video with me, you know, watching with me and my face will be on it. So if you like my face, there's that. Uh, but yeah, resume review is going to be Michael Chandler this week. It's, it's going to be a big one, I think, because I have to, I feel like I have to do both Alvarez fights and I might do like one other sneaky under the radar. Good win, like a Yamauchi for Chandler, but it's going to just be watching watching Chandler fights, uh, determining the goodness of his opposition. And, uh, yeah, that'll be uh, pretty interesting. And Yamauchi is a, a, a nice one to look at just because that's a, more of a sport BJJ player, and you might see some similar situations that we could think about for the Oliveira fight, so I think that'd be relevant. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. It's going to be a long freaking video, but <laughs> worth it, I think, worth it. So let's get into last week. So, Gregor Gillespie, Carlos Diego Fajaya, I was really looking forward to this fight. I had a strong feeling it was going to be a really good fight, uh, you know, just because it's two really good grapplers, and they both like to grapple in their fights, and uh, yeah, neither one of them are like game changers in any one sense where you could just imagine them completely shutting the other one out early on. Uh, so, I, I had a feeling it was going to be competitive for as long as it lasted, and uh, it, it definitely was. So, Carlos Diego Fajaya missed weight by five pounds. That sucks. Um, he's getting older. I don't know how his body's doing, but I think he's had some issues for a while, uh, for a couple of years now. So that's unfortunate. Things might be winding down for him, or it's just specific matchups that always bring out the worst parts in him. So, hard to tell. But that fight was sick. So, just for context, Gregor Gillespie was a four-time All-American and a national champion his junior year, I believe, either sophomore or junior year, not his senior year. Uh, for Edinburgh University in Pennsylvania, he's a New Yorker because he's a big East Coast guy, just like me. Um, equally as good at wrestling as well. 
but I watched a lot of his college matches when I wrote my breakdown on him. If you want to find that, it's Wrestling for MMA, Gregor Gillespie. Uh, but I, it was like a two-parter, basically. It, it was all in one article, but the first half of the article was broken down just focusing on his college career and, and watching his matches and talking about the way he wrestles and who he beat. And the second half of the article is more about his application in MMA. And it's one of my favorite ones I've done. It was a ton of effort, so that's why I don't do it that much. But uh, felt right to do it for him because he's just insanely credentialed. Uh, but yeah, he, he beat like a bunch of elite guys. He wrestled a bunch of elite guys. Just one of the most competitive eras in college wrestling for his weight class. And he wrestled everybody. So he got to see a lot of him and his potential. Uh, and he wrestles pretty much identically to how he did in college in MMA. I mean, he does the same stuff. It's really funny. And it all still works. He had a good style coming in. Uh, definitely a, a, an excellent mat wrestler. Was a, a few consistent attacks on his feet that he can get to. And uh, yeah, it, he's very physical, very strong. Not like super fast or explosive, but uh, a good athlete all around. And definitely his his strength is his physical strength and his, his endurance. Uh, I use the term, well, I use the term a lot. I usually when I'm talking about wrestlers, when I say he has a good motor. So what do I mean by he has a good motor versus his cardio is good? So cardio is you know a broader term, I think. And if you have a fighter who can maintain like a steady, solid pace for five to ten rounds, then yeah, they have great cardio. You're in shape. But if you have a good motor, you can really ramp up your pace. You know, take it into another gear, and uh, really you know put put a pace on somebody. Uh, maintain a faster sprinting pace than get back to and maintain a solid pace still without taking breaks you know what I mean is really uh, weaponize your pace and and be strong and be physical in those bursts so someone like Max Holloway has great cardio and he can definitely ramp it up so I'd say he's got a good motor but uh it's it's not too big of a, a change whereas someone like Gillespie can really uh, have have these sprinting moments uh Michael Chandler is another great example uh, Habib is a great example and those guys that have varying levels of like overall cardio uh, but the way that they can enforce their pace on someone and really move through situations and put a physical type of pace on somebody, that that's pretty unique, and you mostly see it with grapplers. Uh, I'd say Dustin Poirier is a good example of a striker who does that. Um, he has a really unique uh, yeah, attribute when it comes to cardio. It, he's, he's, uh, he's rare. He's a rare one the way he does that. Like Insanely fit, but also can, can get into these huge bursts and you know settle back into a, a slower pace without getting too tired then get back into it later um definitely paces himself well so that's one of his main strengths uh carlos diego fajaya definitely one of the more well-rounded athletes in the ufc i'd say uh really got his his pressure striking game you know hammered out in the past few years that uh, i would say the best performances from him would be tysonov and pettis um you know, put both those guys on the back foot you know put volume on them and his cardio looked great in those fights. But the thing is, like you saw it against Dariush, is that when things aren't going his way as much and he can't dictate the pace and he has to, you know, respond to you and do what you want to do and, and fight against you, um, it's not the same for him. He can't he can't maintain the same kind of pace and he, he falls apart a little bit. Uh, but that Dariush fight, it was like Carlos Diego Fajaya and Benil Dariush are comparable grapplers, but on the feet, Dariush was able to counter a lot of the pressure like hitting those knees to the body and, and, and start to turn him back and become the pressure and that's what when he became really uncomfortable Dar, uh carlos diego fajaya did and he started giving up bad positions against the cage and that's when darius was able to wrestle him a lot and i don't think carlos diego fajaya had factored in too much 
uh, that people would be doing that to him, even though it was a rematch of a fight where Darius did that to him the first time too, uh, wrestled him. But <laughs> so coming into this one, you're like, okay, uh, Gillespie can definitely do that to him, but you know, is Carlos Diego Vajaya going to be good enough at jiu-jitsu to put him out of positions and scramble up or be threatening enough to make Gillespie hesitate? Uh, and is Gillespie going to be good enough at striking to put CDF in those positions in the first place? Um, because if they're on the feet for extended periods of time, you're like, okay, CDF has a big advantage. What ended up happening is that Gillespie had basically one attack that he knew he could get to in terms of wrestling. Uh, this head inside single, uh, he shot it, you know, to the knees a couple times, but mostly it was more of a snatch single, just an explosive step in, um, covered a lot of distance on it and just got to that head inside single and, and, and got high on the leg. And that was pretty much all he needed <laughs> because he could get to it from a lot of different ranges. And as long as there was the cage, even anywhere remotely near the back of CDF, he was safe to shoot it. Cause even if he didn't get it, CDF was still there to be grabbed, to be grappled, to be engaged in some sort of tie up. Um, so he didn't have to lose those positions. So he was really good at minimizing the time he spent on the feet and CDF when he was on the feet, it was pretty simplistic stuff uh he definitely looked more comfortable as a striker i think he's becoming more comfortable in that he's not going to be a good striker but he knows how much he has to do to stay safe and to get into the positions he wants um like he pressured with his feet he threw a couple strikes to to show like hey i throw hard you have to back up if you don't have good defense um he did a, a couple other things that showed depth uh you know punched off kicks and uh just looked a little bit better overall technically but i think he's settling into a role where he knows what his ceiling is as a striker, and he's really focusing in, which I approve of. I like that idea a lot. Um, so yeah, he was able to pressure in, put Carlos Diego Vajaya on the back foot. I just think he's not, not very comfortable on the back foot, and usually when a good striker, uh, when a good wrestler, rather, walks towards you, the instinct is, is to give them space because you don't want them on your legs, right? Although, it just given how comfortable CDF looked in those early rounds, uh, early moments, rather, countering him and trying to counter grapple, uh, you'd think he'd be more confident, like trying to scare Gregor off and throw hard, but uh, he looked a little, a little tentative, and that allowed uh, Gregor to get into good positions, shoot that head inside single, and he wasn't getting them clean. Uh, CDF was doing a good job limp legging out of them, basically creating a post, uh, whizzing on, on the single legging arm, creating a post to uh, put the head away to make it harder to finish, turning the knee out and, and kicking it through. That's a defense that's really fundamentally solid it's a lot easier to pull off an mma because there's no shoes uh so there's no like hard block of friction uh that isn't going to slip through their grip or the foot especially when you're sweaty it's really easy to limp leg out of singles in mma so that's why it's so hard to finish singles in mma really and why like uh you know blading your hips and making sure someone can't get a clean double on you and half a single off that's a really good system of takedown defense you saw from like Jose aldo or robert whitaker um so yeah, that he was doing a good job limp-legging out of them, but uh, basically it just came down to the fact that Gillespie could get to his legs for free. Um, he didn't need to nail down every single exchange. He could just keep doing it. And once they ended up in these grappling positions, you know, CDF was going for like Kimura counters, Kimura trap counters, um, Plata's, like a lot, a lot of counter grappling, um, a lot of attempts to turn you know Gregor's shots into his own offense. Uh, but as I pointed out in my, my video on Gregor Gillespie uh, before this fight, like as seen in the Anti Madero's fight, he's just a great scrambler, one of the best. And what that means is he knows the fundamentals of positioning. Basically, as long as he has a post and he can get height and his hips are high, 
He can step over. He can move through the next position. He can stay safe. CDF's doing all this stuff, all these advanced maneuvers. He's got all the platas. He's going to the crucifix, all these things. But Gregor knows just how to put someone on their back, how to avoid, excuse me, being put on his own back. And he felt like as long as he was winning the positions, like situationally, he was fine. He just kept moving through them, kept moving through them. Uh, went when CDF did threaten him with a, with a good counter. Uh, he, he bailed on positions just to make sure he could get up back to like front headlock or something like that. And just kept the positions flowing. And he just seemed really aware of the dynamic. It, it looks like a, such a smart, like it, while it was happening, Shriram and I doing the commentary were like, we know that he knows like that this is going to work, like the CDF's going to fade. Um, but at the time, if you're not aware of that information, you're like, oh, this is really competitive. But the fact that CDF has to keep scrambling and keep grappling with him and, and keep working um and you know that's a really exhausting thing to do if you've never been in those situations where you have to keep wrestling through um and you don't get to stop moving that sucks that's the easiest way to get tired in my opinion is a scramble uh, some people are really good at it and they're naturals and it doesn't make them tired but uh if you're someone that gasses out <laughs> from long grappling exchanges then yeah uh it's perfect so at the end of the first round we're like oh my god like this is the perfect fighter, Gregor Gillespie. He just there's nothing stopping him from creating scrambles. He's not getting taken out of there in these scrambles. He's he's slowly coming out on top more often in these positions. Um, and CDF just cannot stop him from creating creating more and more situations. And sure enough, in the second round, slowly but surely, uh, the success started to build. Kept getting to the legs, um, and you could already tell like that on, on the feet. CDF had a lot less steam. He couldn't uh, get, find his range on his. Uh, rear straights as much he he wasn't finding him as much on the feet and he just he was already backing off and he just kept getting to the head inside single uh getting height on it at one point he switched off to uh whatchamacallit rear standing uh from the seatbelt position so he shelved the leg with his left hand went right hand around the waist and then um let go of the leg and get, got the rear standing position and uh, back tripped him over uh that, w- that was a clean position he got uh but yeah eventually he just <laughs> kept kept getting height on it kicking the leg out that just did not stop hitting really simple finishes on the single legs. And, yeah, CDF eventually just could not keep up the movement on bottom. Couldn't, you know, continue to counter him and, and, and offer these credible threats. And he got stuck uh, in bad position. Gregor flattened him out, put his hips in to flatten him out on bottom, which is, you know, he was a leg rider in college. He was very comfortable there. And he had pounded him out from back mount. So it was a really awesome performance. Uh, I think my article this week is going to be about how he won some of those scrambles. Uh, just talking about the positioning, so I can give you a, a better idea of what I mean by that. Uh, so that was great. Um, with regard to wrestling, there isn't really too much else to talk about in this card. Like Neil Magny versus Jeff Neal, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about it. <laughs> that was the best fight in the card. It was the most interesting from a wrestling pers- perspective for sure. Okay, so then there's UFC 262. So it's the upcoming pay per view. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one. Definitely lost a little bit of its steam because Leon Edwards is off, but. You know, Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz isn't the best fight. Anyway, um, Alex Perez was going to be on this card, which was going to be awesome. I really, really enjoy Alex Perez. Um, really solid fighter, really good wrestler for MMA, but he's not in the card anymore, unfortunately. So we have Chandler, Oliveira, Ferguson, Dariush, uh, Hermanson, Shabazian. What else matters from a wrestling perspective? Edson Barboza's been taking people down. We'll see if that continues. Uh, Jacare is fighting. You can comment on that. Um, hmm. here's a fight that you wouldn't know is two wrestlers Lando, Venata, and Mike Grundy <laughs> like Venata who everyone knows is like this weird creative striker 
and Grundy, who is British. Uh, but in fact, they are both wrestlers, and Grundy obviously more of a wrestling stylist in MMA. Um, yeah, I don't really know everyone else too well, um, but there's there's definitely enough to talk about. Oh, Christos Yagos is fighting Sean Soriano. Not a wrestling one, but just Sean Soriano, I think, is very underrated. Um, uh, he's a, a longtime hoof, a Henry Hoofs striker, so you can imagine what he fights like. <laughs> so let's start at the top. So Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler. Basically, this is one of the biggest toss-ups of all those matchups you could make at lightweight at the top because they are both really poised to exploit the weaknesses of the other. Um, you know, Oliveira being good at intercepting level changes uh, with his straight kicking and his knees and his you know, shots up the collar tie and also being just a really good front headlock threat uh, as a grappler. That uh, Those are all things that make you think, don't change levels and go underneath this guy. Whereas Chandler, most of his striking game at this point is, is built off level changes. So you're like, okay, that's dangerous uh, with the front snap kicking. So he's going to have to have some answers for that. Uh, and then with regard to Chandler being a threat for Oliveira, explosive, hits really hard, you know, very tough, going to come after you, going to pressure you, uh, going to put Oliveira on the back foot most likely, um, kicks the body, has a great motor, like I said, Oliveira has looked a lot better in terms of cardio, um, but it's it's probably still there a bit that he does get tired, he settles into a different kind of pace, like even the Kevin Lee fight, which is pretty recent for him, uh, he, he, he didn't gas, but he slowed down. Um, and Kevin Lee was just way more slowed down. So if you get into a crazy fight with Oliveira and you're still there and you're still going at the same pace, um, that could be an issue. So I think the, the weaponization of pace could be problematic for Oliveira uh, versus Chandler, but also just the fact that his defense isn't super tight. Uh, he is, he's fairly durable, but not the most durable guys. Uh, there's definitely a chance he can get blasted to the head or the body. Uh, Chandler also kicks super hard to the body. Um, but yeah, they, they both do a lot of things that the other is vulnerable to. Honestly, like, maybe later on in the fight, maybe not right away, I could definitely see Chandler taking Oliveira down. And uh, it's just because he's tall. And it's you know easy to double tall people against the cage. And he's going to look for front headlock counters and, and not maybe focus on his defense. So uh, if he doesn't finish those uh, guillotine anaconda type of attempts, he could definitely be in some trouble to put on his back flat. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a really competitive fight unless, like, Chandler ducks into a knee right away, or, or you know, he, he knocks out Oliveira super early. Like, I think early knockout is possible for both of them, but otherwise it's going to be kind of crazy. And if Chandler survives the craziness, I think that Oliveira is going to be a little worse for wear, and Chandler's going to be able to pick it up. Now, Chandler does fade at some points, but he also has a second wind that he gains. <clears throat> Part of that motor thing is, like, going through all these sprints. Yes, sometimes you need a little recovery time. You're not exactly where you want to be um, in some stretches of the fight, but he comes back. Um, his cardio doesn't end. He just needs little breaks, and, and he has more bursts. So I think that's something that separates them uh, physically. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, with regard to can Charles Oliveira wrestle Michael Chandler, because if Oliveira takes him down, I think that's totally different. I think that's a, a very – one of the strongest, like, okay, this guy is at an advantage positions in the fight. Like, you really don't have, have that in any of the other stages. But with Oliveira – taking down Chandler, having top positions, you know, being able to scramble to his back. That could be tough. That could be very tough. Um, not that Chandler isn't a, a solid grappler. It's just that it's not close um, <laughs> at that point. Um, and Chandler is a little bit vulnerable. 
um, in, in those positions. We've seen it before. Like Benson Henderson in the fifth round uh, took Chandler down, took his back you know, and threatened him. But it was the fifth round after Chandler was beating up Benson Henderson for four rounds. And he was, I mean, he was really going off on him. So I'm surprised that he didn't gas sooner in that one. Um, but yeah, it's, both of these guys are big double leg threats. I think Chandler has a little more versatility. Um, you know, Oliveira is also kind of a body lock guy. Um, will come up to it off his double leg, and you know he's a very explosive wrestler. But I think when the pace is crazy like that, he's not going to be someone that's taking people down later on in the fight. Um, so I'm hoping this one goes at least three rounds because I think a lot of the interesting dynamics of the fight happen once maybe some of that you know crazy energy wears off. Um, you can kind of see what both guys are working with at that point, and that's where they become a little more like themselves. But they both have this huge burst potential in the beginning where a lot can happen. Um, but I think Oliveira's burst potential has an expiration date, and Chandler can go a lot longer in that sense. Uh, with regard to durability, Chandler would definitely be getting rocked a bit um, in his past few fights. Not against Hooker, but in his past few fights. Um, looked a little easier to hurt uh, or like put off balance uh, and then in the past, but even like the time he got knocked out against Patricio uh, Pitbull, he barely went out and he woke right back up. So I think he's still pretty durable. I think his chin's pretty solid and he's been getting hit in weird places. Um, so it's hard to tell, but he also went a little longer now without taking head trauma. Um, so I think that'll be good for him. And Oliveira, you know, he's, he's never had like the best chin either. So, um, you know, both guys are just really vulnerable to each other. I think it makes it for a really cool fight. I think it makes it for a fight that I'm not going to bother to dig too deep in because I just think a lot of stuff can happen and they both have a lot to offer each other and it's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm going to pick Chandler just because I, I, I just trust him physically a little bit more outside of the durability factor. And I think that's going to matter a lot because I think this fight has just, there's just a lot that can happen. Also, um, if they're not going crazy at each other early on uh, i think chandler um can do more with less um you know bigger impacts and in shorter bursts but although Oliveira has much better tools to work on him uh, over time so that's that's weird because uh all of uh, chandler is actually a pretty good counter fighter uh not not like slip counter like you know <laughs> specifically uh, like off head movement or really nice striking defense but he can catch kicks he can you know, shoot reactive shots. He can do a lot of things if you offer him a lot of offense to look at. Uh, so that's the downside of Oliveira, you know, looking for some sort of volume approach, like kicking his legs and snap kicking his body and, um, you know, working with straights on, on the outside. Um, that does open you up to, to responses. So I, I'm i just really interested in seeing what they do, what happens. I, I think we'll learn a lot. Um, and we're going to have an interesting champion uh, regardless. And I think... Uh, if like Dustin Boye fights the winner, then I think that is equally interesting. I give both of them a pretty good chance to beat Dustin Poirier, actually. You know, despite me loving Dustin Poirier, um, so looking forward to that one. Check out deeper breakdowns on that in the Round Robin, Round Robin of Violence uh, podcast. You can look that up on uh, podcast platforms. You can look it up on our YouTube channel. Um, but just gonna have to scroll through to when we talk about that one. We talk about all the different types of matchups there can be between Poirier, Gaethje, Oliveira, and Chandler. Um, Ferguson versus Dariush it's hard not to think about what Charles Oliveira just did to Ferguson and think like okay Dariush can wrestle in most of the same ways um, and he can pressure is he going to do that to Tony Ferguson he can also hit super hard um, is uh, is he going to be able to do the exact same thing that, that Oliveira did I think just physically being less of a force and being smaller it's going to be more competitive automatically 
um, and Ferguson obviously getting even older now. Um, it's it's interesting though because Darius definitely has some cardio issues. He he does gas, and Ferguson when he's at his best, he's gassing people out and he's putting on a lot of pressure. He's kicking the body, uh, just driving a crazy pace that his durability enforces. Um, that's the thing. Will that be there? Is Darius going to crack him? Uh, I'm not sure, but it would be really, really awesome for Benil Darius to, to get that win because fans would finally respect him, probably. Um, he deserves it. He's great. Uh, and if Ferguson wins, that's also nice because it's been a very sad story for Tony Ferguson the past couple of years. And I want him to do well, but um, I also like Darius more than him. So, tough one. Uh, Hermanson Shabazian. I kind of hate that fight. Um, <laughs> I just wish Herm- Hermanson was uh, a more polished wrestler. He's good upper body, uh, but his leg attacks are pretty sloppy. He doesn't have good setups for them. He puts himself in bad positions a lot of the time. Uh, we could see like a Shabazian bird situation. If you remember that one, uh, bird put him on the cage and, and tried to double him right away. And Shabazian uh, killed him with those elbows uh, to the side of the head. That could happen again, honestly. I could see that happening. Uh, but Hermanson is decent enough striker that he doesn't have to go crazy and panic. And Shabazian has a bad gas tank, so... He just needs to kind of hang out and, and make it competitive and, and fight him in a few different stages. Maybe clinching a lot could be a good idea uh, just to get through that early early uh, danger. But I don't know. Shabazian has some potential just because he's a huge hitter and has some nice looks on the feet as a striker, but I'm not super sold on him. Uh, he has some looks as an offensive wrestler as well. I think that would be an interesting path for him to go down Shabazian, but uh, I don't know. At this point, I like Hermanson more. I think he's got a good top game. Uh, I like that, that pocket guillotine he does. Um so, I don't know. Interesting. Uh, Jacare is fighting Andre Munoz. I don't really know him too much. Jacare is just a tough one. He didn't have a style that was that was poised to age well. That is because he's always been kind of rough at getting fights to the ground. Decent, decent enough wrestler on the cage. He has some interesting looks, some nice little tricks against the cage to get people down. But open space usually just shoots from far away, and it, that's not that's not so good. Um, especially now that he's getting older and a little less durable. Uh, also just, you know, huge, massive brain fart, like against Kevin Holland when he's, uh, like on, on one knee in guard, like had, had height over him, wasn't looking to pass, just kind of looking at him while Holland was talking to him. I think he was confused and then he got hit with some really hard shots on bottom and knocked out. Um, so I don't know where he's at, honestly, at this point, he took Kevin Holland down almost immediately, but then we learned that that means nothing because Kevin Holland is zero as a defensive wrestler. So I don't know. I don't know where Jacare is at. I hope he wins. I hope he doesn't get hit um, because that, that would suck. Uh, Mike Grundy and, and Lando Venata, pretty cool. Um, like I said, Lando Venata, actually a college wrestler. He wrestled at UTC Chattanooga. Uh, I guess it's UTC and the C is for Chattanooga. Uh, but he wrestled at a D1 school. Not not any sort of power by any means. I don't think he started much. Um, I don't think he was like a actual varsity guy, but he was a college wrestler. So that means something. Um, he's like the Brandon Gibson prototype up here. All these really interesting combinations I can do. And also like, I have some head movement and I have some slick looks, um, but also like no process whatsoever. And just like no, no defined style in terms of like pressure or outfighting or whatever. Like he's kind of exists in the fight and he's like, I am good and I'm going to beat you overall. Um, but that doesn't really work that well in MMA these days, unless you're really, really good. And now that he's older, it's a little less effective because his athleticism was very uh, dynamic-based. Uh, Mike Grundy, a little bit older, but super explosive, strong. He represented Great Britain a few times in the freestyle circuit at the senior level. 
no real accomplishments to speak of in my opinion but i like him in mma uh like i said very explosive uh you know works off his rear hand well it sets up his shots uh great double watch his fight with a uh, most far if you want to see just him against another good wrestler and how they scramble and how he's still able to get him down and just honestly he's got a great motor too he slowed down a bit in that fight but he was able to fight at a really hard pace for a long time so that was impressive so i'm kind of rooting for him over venata honestly just because i i like his style more it's more defined and he's got the right tools and weapons to make it work and less time to do it so uh you know hoping he makes the most of his career whereas lando's kind of played around and not lived up to his potential um but yeah that's that fight uh anything else uh, sergio pettis beat one archuleta and he actually looked very solid uh defensively as a wrestler for the most part um that was cool that was cool to see just bigger uh bigger decent fundamentals getting under hooks uh knowing how to defend singles on the ground he actually looked like a his, like his hips were great um he worked through some really interesting transitions uh rolled through from mount Gatine at one point at the end of a round and uh yeah i just i like him at 135 now i think he's put on the size and matured physically a lot from moving up and yeah i love sergio pettis so that was that was really cool um yeah that's really all i have to say uh with regard to amateur wrestling i, I won't lead with it because no one cares but the last chance qualifier happened uh the usa went over three with their qualifiers so there's gonna be three weights uh, across uh two styles not represented jordan oliver made it to the semifinals he had to win that match to to make the olympics Lost to uh, Magomed Murad Gaziev from Poland, who's a Dagestani, actually. He transferred. Um, yeah, he lost by one point, which sucks. And, um, yeah, our two Greco guys, Jesse Porter and Adam Kuhn, they went one and one, respectively. And also did not make the Olympics, so that's a bummer. Um, but a lot of other cr- cool stuff happened at the other weights. The big thing was uh, 74 kilograms. This is what I wrote about uh, last week, but... Basically, there was a number three, number seven guys in the bracket. Uh, Katika Sabalov, who is a world champion and world silver medalist and very, very good. And he beat uh, Zarabek Sitikov recently, who's a two-time returning world champion. So Sabalov is like, okay, this is an Olympic medal threat. Um, and then you have Timurez Salkazanov, who's an Ossetian, another Russian who's wrestling for Slovakia. Oh, I forgot to mention Sabalov transferred to Serbia, so that's why they're not on the Russian team. Uh, so you have Sabalov and, and, and Salkazanov. And Salkazana beat uh, Jamalov, who beat Chimizo and Sabalov. So he's like a top three guy. And he also beat Chimizo. Um, so Salkazana was looking like... Oh, he also beat a Kenchadzi from Georgia. So uh, Salkazana was also looking like a top three like metal threat kind of guy. So you have two metal threats in the same bracket. Um, and basically the way Last Chance worked was you had to make the finals to qualify for the Olympics. And they did random, random bracketing. They say, I say random, but it's pretty obvious that UWW rigs it. Um, the reason they rig it is to make it so underrepresented countries can get more representatives at the Olympics and Worlds and get more medals to help grow the sport. But that's bullshit, right? Like, <laughs> it might grow the sport a little bit, but doesn't it hurt the sport to have all the best guys, like, cannibalizing each other and not getting to go to these competitions and... It, it doesn't really make sense like you're, you're hurting the athletes to help other athletes like well just make the brackets fair and you know use your media presence to support the other the other countries like don't rig the brackets it's crazy um they definitely do that um i, I think it's indisputable at this point um but yeah 
So they were on the same side of the bracket. So at this point, you're like, okay, only one of these guys, Salkazana versus Sabalov, can make the team. That sucks. Uh, but it got even crazier than that because Sabalov, after winning his first match, goes down to Soner Demirtas uh, from Turkey. And Demirtas is good too. He's he's not ranked right now, but uh, he might be ranked after this actually. Uh, but he was a, a Olympic bronze in 2016, and he's placed at Worlds since then, and he's just very solid and gives good matches to elite guys all the time. He looked great. Sabalov looked like trash, and he beat him. So you're like, okay, Sal Kozanov's going to make the team, uh, make the Olympics, rather. And then Sal Kozanov goes down to uh, Magomed Khabib, uh, Kadi Magomedov, who is a Dagestani wrestling for uh, Belarus. So Kadi Magomedov beats Demirtas, beats him uh, on the counter, mostly. And then he wrestles Sal Kozanov and just lights him up. So I wrote about those matches. Um, so just look up... Uh, you know, Ed Gallo, Buddy Elbow, look at my articles, or um, look up Magomed Khabib, um, Kadi Magomedov for that breakdown. But he looked beautiful. So now he's an Olympic medal threat, and he's the only one of all those guys who gets to go to the Olympics, um, which sucks. And on the other side, it was like some random like Ukrainian who could get to qualify. It's dumb. Dumb and bad. Um, it's four guys that all should have been at the Olympics, all on the same side of the bracket. Terrible. Uh, but yeah, that was really the only big development. Um, and yeah, there's not going to be too much to talk about for a while with regard to wrestling just because it's basically just all hands on deck until the Olympics. So I'll keep you in the loop when more stuff happens there. But yeah, that's it. I guess, uh, looking forward to breaking down everything that happens, uh, for UFC 262 and I'll maybe start taking some questions again soon. We'll see. We'll see.